A few weeks ago, we started asking a question that we hoped would change the culture of our church, that we hoped would change the image of our church, and it's this, who's your one? Because no one can reach everyone, but we believe God wants everyone to reach someone. We serve a leader who left the 99 to go after the one, and he expects the same from us. Who is it in your life right now that you need to invest in? Who is it right now in your life that you could be praying for? Who is it right now who's far from God? And as I was introducing this idea a few weeks ago as we launched this series, I got kind of emotional during first service. In fact, if you were in that service, you probably saw I almost lost my composure because someone in the crowd shouted out, Amen. And normally that stuff doesn't bother me, but I recognized that voice. I knew who that person was. I knew that that was one who at one point was far from God, but because someone else invested in them, now they're on fire for God. So I thought today it might be good for you to hear their story, to hear their story firsthand. So get ready to hear the powerful testimony of someone who at one time was far from God, but because someone else invested in them, now their life has been radically changed by God. So here's Matt to help introduce this person to you. Hey, so good to have everybody with us today, and uh, as always, we have family out at our Stone Canyon campus, as well as others who will join us later online, so would you welcome them into our time? All right. Well, we have been in this series uh, for a little while, and, uh, and so I'm honored to get to, to wrap it up. Let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever felt like you were being pursued? Now, I, I don't want to, not on a, like a scary, creepy kind of way, you know, right? But like, you know, somebody just kind of always popped into, you know, in, in your path or something. Maybe that is a little creepy. Um, may, maybe you think back into high school or college and you knew there was somebody who had a crush on you and like they always showed up at your locker or out in the parking lot. See, that even sounds creepy too, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, let's take it down a notch. Um, you're like me, you get junk mail every week, right? And so, uh, you know, I, whether it's an insurance company or, um, you know, the list goes on of all the different junk mail we get, people who are in pursuit of you, take it up a notch uh, uh, online marketing, right? Uh, especially with uh, Alexa and Siri and all these things listening to you. Maybe you've heard the story, somebody uh, mentions they need a paperclip and then when they, whenever they get online next, every ad is for some office supply store, you know, and I didn't even put anything in, you know, but, but those retailers are in pursuit of us, or more specifically, in pursuit of our money, right? And, uh, and so it's kind of weird whenever you see that happening, and every ad is over or about one particular thing that you were doing a search for earlier. Uh, we've all probably been in pursuit, have had somebody in pursuit of us. There's one who is in pursuit of us that maybe we overlook sometimes, and that is God. Our God is a pursuing God. If you don't believe me, maybe if you went over to Psalm chapter 139, I would encourage you to go over there sometime and read that chapter, especially those first several verses there, and read about our God who, who knows everything about us and everywhere we turn, he is there, and he's before us, he's after us, and you just get this picture painted for us of this God who is in pursuit of us. Because he loves us and he desires to be in relationship with us. Every one of us who are a follower of Jesus, we can probably look back 
in our life and we can remember a circumstance or maybe a person or people who were in our path and it just seemed like now, especially as we look back, that God was at work and he was moving. And maybe we were lost and he was slowly drawing us into a relationship with him. Maybe you can relate to that. That's our story. This God, our God, who keeps showing up in our lives to draw us to him. We all share that story. Now, every one of our stories uh, is different, right? We don't share the same details when it comes down to the story. But all of us can remember a time before Christ, before we knew God and his salvation. And, and we can remember a time when we made that decision to follow him and, and to begin to walk in him. That's our story. And we get to share that story. Today, uh, we want to share somebody else's story. Ba back in uh, 2016, uh, October of 2016, matter of fact, I went with uh, one of our teams from this church down to Piedras Negras, Mexico, on a missions trip. And whenever we got there, um, there was this guy who uh, uh, kind of tweaked my interest. He was going around to each one of our uh, people on our team and introducing himself and finding out information. And as a leader of a team, I'm always kind of on protective mode. You know, I'm like, all right, what's he doing? Well, his name was Zeb. And as I watched him, I thought, man, this, this guy's different. And then I finally got to meet him, and uh, we spent a few minutes together that, uh, uh, that first day, and then throughout the week got to know him better. And there was a point in that week where uh, we had an elder on the trip with us. Uh, Eric Betters was there, and uh, we had an open position here at First Church for one of our campuses. And, and I went to Eric, and I said, he's the guy. He's, he's the guy. I, I want him. And, uh, and uh, as things progressed... Now Zeb is here on our team, and we're excited about that. So we want you to hear Zeb's story. Come on up here, Zeb. We're going we're gonna to hear a little bit about Zebulon Myers. Okay, Matt. Thanks. I expect none less right there. All right. Oh, buddy. How long have you been on staff now? I think about a year and a half. That's a miracle. All right. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, why, don't, uh, why don't you uh, tell everybody what you do here? Because I think a lot of people think we just keep you around to look good and everything. That's pretty much it. Um, so in May, I took over director of Love 918. So now I lead our ministries for outreach, both local and global mission support and those type of things. So any interaction our church basically has with the outside world. That's, that's my role in this church, and it's to equip the church and lead the church in reaching people who don't know Jesus. Amen. Yeah. And if Praise God. If you've, uh, if you've been around this guy very much, you realize that is right in his wheelhouse. I mean, he loves people and uh, uh, just so uh, passionate about sharing, sharing Christ with others. So uh, one more question about the church stuff around here. What's your favorite thing about serving here and being a part of what's happening here? Well, I really like being the mobile circus for Jesus with inflatables and, and interaction with kids in the community. But uh, I love the church itself. Like this, this is the most family-centered church we've been a part of in several years, and I love that we're reaching whole families. 
So not just the kids, not just the adults, not just the senior adults, but everybody. And I love that about this church. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, when, when Chad first uh, got here, one of the words he used to describe himself, and, and I'm in that same ballpark, is he's a Buick. Uh, brought up in church kid, all right? I'm and more like a Ferrari, Matt. <laughs> What's the acronym for that one? There's not one. <laughs> well, I believe that. Vroom. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that was neat. All right, let's get back. No, okay. Um, yes, you've got a different story, and yes, Ferrari, whatever you are, but um, uh, tell us your story. It's, it's different than mine, obviously, so obviously, but um, tell us a little bit about your story, Bob. So at a very young age, I had severe ADHD, so I was pretty wild and reckless even as a young kid, um, very vocal and extremely defiant. Um, I resisted authority at every, at every opportunity, and so um, I grew up in a household around bikers and construction workers, and so I kind of found my identity in those things growing up, especially in construction because the, the results of construction were immediate. You could do something and immediately you could see the results. And so I kind of found, I found success or I found my value in those things. And so um, especially in construction also because my father had been in construction pretty much all of my life. And uh, I wanted to earn his approval. So along with those things, I had a love for motorcycles and a love for construction and building and fixing things and especially tearing things apart. And so in those things uh, came excessive drinking, excessive drugging, and uh, with those, excessive incarceration. Okay. All right. So construction, alcohol, drugs, jail, all those things. What... What did that part of the journey look like get you from there to Jesus? At about 25 years old, Matt, I, uh, I got clean through a recovery program. And uh, I'd pretty much just given up drinking and drugging and was still living like a heathen. And uh, a few years later, I was expecting my son to be born. Um, my construction career had taken me up near Kansas City because it paid better. And so uh, I was making better money then than I had in years. And I was expecting my son to be born. And this guy I'd worked with for about four to five months at that time for Rebar Inc. I was an iron worker. He, uh, he had seen me fight and beat up his nephew several times and uh, several other guys on different jobs. And uh, I just kept getting moved from job to job to job. And Sean and his uncle Harley uh, would call our superintendent and ask to supervise me. Like, I don't, just something in his heart. And so... Uh, that guy spent time with me, saw the worst of me, and yet he still continued to want to be around me. And uh, we had a few things in common. One, we both loved the dirt track. So I grew up around the racetrack in southwest Missouri, around Monette and Bolivar and Lebanon. And so I'd grown up around the races and even in Springfield, Missouri. And so Sean had two, and his uncle Harley raced dirt track. And so on a Friday night, one Friday, he invited me to Kearney, Missouri, up northeast of Kansas City for a dirt track race. And then again on Saturday night, his uncle Harley had four pit passes for a Bush Series NASCAR race at the Kansas Motor Speedway, and they invited me. And then that morning at 1 o'clock, when we left the pits on Saturday, Sunday morning, he invited me to church for the first time at a small little Church of Christ in northwest Kansas City. And I went about eight hours later. Hmm. So, yeah. Cool. So, so Sean really invested in you. You were kind of his one. Amen. Yeah. 
And uh, so you show up at church. First time you'd ever been in church or first time? I've been about five times chasing women as a younger man. All right. All right. It's a good place to find him. Anyway. um, They dress better. He is still single. Anyway. um, I just want to throw that in there. It's a good opportunity for you, buddy. Um, So you're... You're still not a believer, though, at this point. No, sir. And so what was it, to, what took you from there, still lost, all the way to ministry now? Yeah, well, I was a heathen still, and uh, my son was born, and I was attending church faithfully. And about two years after I'd been in the church, um, I was invited in April of 2007, two months before my son Alex was born. And about two years later, I petitioned for joint custody of my son because we had had a disagreement as co-parents. And so um, I wasn't even sure that I would get supervised visitation with my boy because of my criminal history. Um, and so I was really scared, but uh, I got in touch with my pastor and he started teaching me to pray. He said, don't pray for specific things because God's probably not gonna give those to you. He said, but just pray for God's favor. And I was like, okay, Dougie, that sounds easy enough. And so, yeah, Pastor Doug just started leading me to pray for God's favor. And um, in less than nine months, I was awarded sole physical and sole legal custody of my son. And as a result of God's favor shown to me, I was anxious to find Jesus. And so during that custody, um, I had heard about the Dislocated Workers Fund in 2009, and they were paying for two years of college for union workers who were looking for a different trade. And so I took advantage of the opportunity two weeks after my, I got custody of my son in September of 2009, and I went back to college. And in January or February of 2010, I came face-to-face with Jesus at Northside Christian Church in Springfield, Missouri. And my brother John Presco and Pastor Wayne Bushnell both led me to Jesus and discipled me for the years to come. So, Yeah, yeah. So you come to faith, yeah, awesome. Amen. Yeah. So you, so you, they lead you to, to faith. You come to faith in Christ, and um, but you don't stop there. You keep pursuing and come all the way to ministry. What what did that look like there? So in the first couple of months at Northside Christian Church, I came to faith, and I, I was talking to them about, hey, look, man, I need to be baptized. They, this guy was baptized, and this guy was baptized, and Jesus said baptized. I need to be baptized, and Wayne Bushnell's like, yeah, let's get together this week, and we did, and I'm like, dude, let's do it right now, and we waited till Sunday so my uh, family, my unchristian family could be there to watch and witness that, and so anyway, um, within a couple of weeks after that, I started serving communion and offering like these gentlemen here at the church, and uh I, I just loved it. Like, I couldn't believe they trusted me with their money, honestly. But um, I started serving communion and offering, and within a couple of weeks after that, Kevin Punch, their youth pastor, had got me involved leading and discipling juniors and seniors in high school. After services, we'd met, and we'd, we'd do, like, life application for the message that Sunday morning. And so I started doing that, and then about three months after that, I started teaching maybe once a month or twice a month. Some months I would teach either an adult Sunday school class or a young adult, or a college-age Sunday school class, and I mean, I was on fire, like I was just right in the middle of the boat, so um, then within a few years later, uh, I had finished my two-year degree in three and a half years, and um, four out of six of the ministers that graduated from Ozark Christian College, which we support here at the church, and uh, four out of six of them were graduates of Ozark, and they invited me to just go and check the campus out, take a tour, and I did, and I fell in love with what God was doing there, and and just the people, and so I uh, pursued 
a degree at Ozark Christian College for psychology and counseling, and then God changed my heart, and it ended up being student ministry. And so, yeah, so then a couple years later, here I am. There you are. Woo! Yeah. And we're... And we are uh, very thankful for that. And right now, you are pursuing your master's, right? Yes, sir. God blessed me with an opportunity to do that for free. So. Yeah. Yeah, when people, uh, people met him and said, uh, we want you in our program. And uh, so he's going up to school up north and uh, pursuing his master's up there. And so we're, it's just exciting to see God working, uh, working in, in Zeb's Amen. life still. Yeah, so... Um, so, you know, we just talked a little bit about our story and um, how we see God show up at different times. And sometimes, often, we don't even recognize it at the moment. As you look back in that story, your story, can you think of some specific circumstances or, or people, like we talked about Sean already, but some circumstances and people where uh, God was really pursuing you? Yes, I can clearly notice some of those. So at 25 years old, the year I got clean in 2004, um, about eight months after I got clean, I had a, tra a nearly tragic car accident, ran my car off the highway at over 100 mile an hour and flipped into over in three times, broke my back, five of my ribs, and fractured my skull and was in a coma for four days. And during that time, there was a church I had visited, Chasing Girls, earlier in my years, and uh, the pastor from that church got in contact with my parents. Um, knew a distant family member or something and he and his wife came and spent time with my parents at my bedside and uh prayed for me and prayed for them and so um yeah didn't know about it until much quite a while after that but um that was one time i could see god was sending people in my path and in my parents path to lead me to faith in jesus and then again as i said um, i petitioned for joint custody of my son and nine months later i was awarded sole physical and sole legal custody and pastor doug brown was right there by my side and i was still working with sean eldreth at that time for almost a year and a half or two years at, at the time and so i could see god lining people up in my path to lead me to Jesus, and then I came to faith, and Wayne Bushnell and John Presco have went well to Central America with me and everywhere else, so, yeah. That's awesome. Cool. You know, one of the, one of the reasons we wanted to get Zeb up here, number one, just, just to hear the story of how God has worked in his life, but also to recognize I'm a Buick. He's a Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah. And, uh, Vroom. <laughs> Though we have different stories uh, when it comes to the details, we still have the same story. Amen. Uh, being lost, coming to know Christ, uh, and now striving to live for Him with the same purpose in trying to help others come to know Him. And, you know, yeah, my, mine started out in church. I had a dad that kept me in church after parents divorced and everything. And, and you know, and I came to faith much earlier. Um, but you know what? I was still lost. Didn't know Jesus. And, and that's all of our story. We all have that same story. And it's, you know, as believers, especially as Buicks, you know, we can look at a Zeb and go, man, my story's nothing like that. I can't, you know, it's not even worth sharing my story. No, no, no. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is, it is worth saying. And uh, all of us have the story of a God who has pursued us and loves us and wants to walk in a relationship with us. And so, uh, but I, I so appreciate Zeb and what he's doing in this place. So, and I appreciate you coming and sharing your story. Thank Would you, you appreciate Zeb? Both campuses.
uh, you know, we, we mentioned it a, a moment ago about what he's doing, what Zeb's doing here at church through Love 918 and everything. And if you have not, let me just make a little plug here for uh, Love 918. <laughs> yeah. um, if you have not uh, taken that step and, and joined us on one of our movements, one of our projects, whatever it is that's uh, coming up next, you can go to love918.org and, and you can see different uh, opportunities that are coming up. But I encourage you to uh, jump in and be a part of what God's doing through that mo movement and serve alongside Zeb and his team and uh, see what God wants to do there. But anyway, again, I appreciate Zeb coming up. Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at as we continue this whole idea of talking about our story. Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 21. And uh, let me just jump in and give a little bit of a context here. Um, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. He, this church there is dealing with uh, some... Uh, false teachers, I'll just put it that way, uh, that are trying to bring them back to the way things were, trying to bring them back to a morality-based religion, meaning, hey, do all the right things, run, you know, live by the law, and uh, get back to the, our Jewishness. And, uh, and so Paul is writing a letter, and, it, and one aspect of this letter is trying to combat some of this false teaching that has been coming at the church. And uh, so look at verse 21 with me here. We'll jump into it where it says this. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He's reminding them, hey, this is where you came from. You once were alienated from God. Not only just alienated, separated from him, separated from his being your father and, and leading you, but also you were hostile towards him. You were an enemy of him. This is re very reminiscent to me if you go over to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and verse 10, where he says, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Go to verse 10, he says, even while we were enemies of the cross, he died for us. And one, you know, some of us in the church would go, well, wait, wait, I was never an enemy of God. I mean, hey, I was, I was young whenever I came to Christ. I was never against God. No, no, no. If you were a sinner, you were against him. Because when we live in sin, we are living according to our own will, not God's will. We're living against him. And we need to recognize the state that we were in. We were lost without Jesus. We were hostile towards him. And Paul's reminding those who are listening to him, reading this letter, of that very fact. Every one of us can probably think of some specific situations when uh, what we did was directly against what God desired. We can. We need to recognize just the gravity of the situation. We need to recognize our lostness without Jesus. Just this week, Kyle Eidelman had this quote. I, I liked it. He says, as long as I think I'm not that bad, grace will never seem that good. Right? And some of us in the church, some of us Buicks especially, we can look back on our life and say, well, you know, I never was really that bad. I mean, I, mean, I came to faith whenever I was nine. But I was still a sinner, living apart from Jesus. Paul reminds him of that. Look at verse 22. He goes on. He has now, talking about Jesus, he has now reconciled his body of flesh by, uh, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
He has now reconciled us in him through his body. Jesus, through his death on the cross, brought us back together, brought us to a place where we could now be with God. And so here, Paul, he's reminding, yeah, you were once apart from him, but now God in his pursuit of you has brought you near to him where you are now that, so that you can be presented holy and without blemish. When that day of judgment comes, that's how God will see us, not because of anything that we have done, but only because of what Jesus did, just like we sang earlier today, only by the blood of Jesus. And that's enough. We don't need to add to that. He reconciled us through Jesus. Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith. That's a big statement right there. If indeed, there's a contingency there. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. There is both a, a divine gift, but yet at the same time there is a human responsibility. The divine gift is that God stepped in, God came to us, God gave his son on the cross for us that we might have salvation as a free gift by no, mo, no merit of our own. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And that is a gift from him. But Paul says, but there's a human responsibility if indeed you continue in the faith. And that is nothing about works. That is that we hold on to this faith, as he would say here in just a moment, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that we hold on to that gospel, that we hold on to the very fact that we can't do anything. To gain it. Again, he's facing false doctrine, false teaching that's happening in the church to say, hey, come back to the way it was in our Jewishness whenever we were, had to be good enough. We had to live by the law. We had to go by these ways and this morality, religion to prove our worthiness. And Paul says, no, don't go back to that. Instead, continue in the faith, in the hope that we have through what Jesus has done for us. Keep your hope in that salvation based on that gospel. Listen, we have, we all have the same story that he just laid out for these people at the church of Colossae. We all share that story. We were apart from him. God pursued us, brought us back into a right standing through Jesus. That's our story. And we will never be that excited about being found until we realize or come to terms with just how lost we were. Maybe this past summer you remember the story about that soccer team over in uh, Thailand, I believe, where, where they had climbed down into this cave and the waters rose and they couldn't get out. Remember the story, I'm sure you do. Uh, and, and there was, uh, uh, I think, uh, 12 of the students and their coach that were down there. And for 10 days they were down in this cave until rescuers could finally find them. I don't know if you saw this video. I want to show this very short little clip, but it is the first video footage of, of when the rescuer comes up out of the water and he begins to uh, talk to these boys. I want you to listen to the very first words of the boys. And you're going to have to listen close, but I want you to listen to this, right? Watch this. Yeah, best you can. Hello, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. How, how many of you? Thirteen. Brilliant. Did you hear it? Thank you. 
First one you couldn't really hear. It was, thank you. And then after him, though, it was another one and another one and another one. About three or four of them right after that. And you can hear, if you listen to it again, and we don't have time to hit it again until everybody, but, but you can hear this desperation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because they knew that they had been saved. Ten days they'd been in the dark and they had come to a place to probably begin to resolve within themselves that they weren't ever going to get out. And then this light comes up in the cave and suddenly they're no longer lost, but they are found. And their only response, their very first response is, thank you. We don't realize how lost we were. We might just neglect to tell our God, thank you. When we come to, come to this place, when we gather with God's people every Sunday, every Sunday we are coming together to just say thank you. That's why we lift our voices in praise. That's why we want everybody to lift our voices in praise when we sing, because we just want to tell our God, thank you, you're exalted, you're the one that stepped into my life and saved me, thank you. Every week we come together and do that together as a corporate body, but every day we ought to raise up in the morning and just say thank you. Thank you. Ravi Zacharias, he says this, Herein lies the cardinal difference between the moralizing religions and Jesus' offer to us. Jesus does not offer to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. He brought us from death to life. That's how lost we are. We were without him. And so no matter the details of your story, it is just like mine and it is just like Zeb's. You were lost. And God pursued you. And brought you out of your lostness into salvation with him. He brought us out of darkness. He brought us out of separation from him. He's adopted us into his family to be a part of his work and his kingdom. And that's exciting. And that's worth saying thank you for. Now Paul, in the next several verses here, he begins to lay out again this uh, the reaction to this incredible truth, this incredible gospel. And look at, again, look at verse 23. Let's back up and just look at part of it, the end of that, after he talks about the hope of this gospel that you've heard about, this hope that we have salvation through Christ, which has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven. And here it is, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He says, I, I, I can't keep it to myself. I'm not just going to tell him thank you. I want to tell everybody else about it. I'm becoming a minister of this good news. I'm going to spread it everywhere I go. And that's what Paul did. Look at verse 23. Keep going. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up with a lacking and uh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body. That is the church. A little confusing in there, but what He's saying is, I'm joining Jesus in His suffering. He went to the cross and He accomplished salvation. I likewise, I am suffering, and all the things that I'm going through for you, the church, I'm doing whatever it takes to take the gospel where it needs to go. So that others might know him. He says, I know that's a little crazy, but I rejoice in my suffering. 
keep going, verse 25. Of which I became a minister, talking about the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He says it's a stewardship. It's a responsibility now for, for him as a follower of Christ, understanding his lostness and, and now in this new life that he has. He goes, it's a stewardship that I have, a responsibility that I have to now go and take the gospel to whomever I can. Specifically, he's talking to this church in Colossae, and he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. He knew that was his specific calling was to take the, the gospel to the Gentile people, the non, those who are non-Jewish to make the word of God fully known, and he describes that as a mystery, the mystery of the gospel. Look at verse 27. He defines it for us. To them God chose, he's talking about the saints, to the saints, those who follow Jesus, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, and here it is, here's the definition, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That God would pursue us, send his son to us, and not just send him for our salvation, but even beyond that, now he indwells us, and we have the power of God inside of us, and we don't get it. Why would he do that? It's a mystery. I don't know, because I'm messed up, and you're messed up, but God loves us, and we hold on to that. The mystery is not a principle. The mystery is not a set of rules and regulations. The mystery is not a new law. It's not a problem to be solved not a set of questions to be answered. The mystery is the revelation of this infinite God who pursues us and loves us and brings us into a right standing with him. Look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says our job, our role, our purpose is the proclamation of Jesus so that all can come to know him, and all can grow towards maturity in him. Verse 29, for this I toil. This is my job. This is what I do. Struggling with all, catch this, his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, man, I'm giving it everything I got. Oh, he did. But he says here, but I struggle with all his energy, all God's energy, because God is in him and empowering him to go into this world and spread the gospel. We have the same story, but we also have the same purpose. We have the same purpose that Paul just got through talking about. Yes, we all have that same story of alienation from God and, and being pursued by God and coming to faith in, in him, but now we have the same purpose to proclaim him, warning everyone that we can Telling everyone we can that there's a God who loves them and is pursuing them and wants to walk in relationship with them. That's our purpose. Amen. We share the same story and we share the same purpose. We were lost. We've been found. We were separated. But we've been adopted in to the family. I love this imagery of adoption. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Paul 
says this about, he says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God wanted to bring us into this relationship with him and this relationship with his family. I've had the opportunity to be a part of several adoptions here just uh, uh, two weeks ago. I was part of another adoption that was five and a half years in the making to get them to that place. And the excitement in the room and the excitement of the young man being adopted was just palpable. I mean, it was, you could just tell that this was a moment that was changing everything. I don't know if you've seen this little video of this young girl when a husband and wife get to tell her that they are going to adopt her and her two siblings. Watch her reaction. All right, well, there's one more gift. We have one more It's gift. not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's um, another gift. Why don't you careful open it up. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. I love you. <laughs> Do you hear the words the father spoke over that little girl? We will always love you. We have a God who has pursued us and he brings us.